The ancient creed of the church focuses in on Jesus as we will see as we read the text again of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Each one of the phrases in the creed emphasizes something very important in our own understanding of God and His Word. There are 12 phrases in the creed. Today I'm dealing with, and He was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. Now, the text of the creed focuses on Jesus because that is the distinctive of the Christian church. We have confessed, I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Savior. And the number of phrases that follow that are descriptions of what it means to believe in Jesus, including the one today. Conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, I want to read from a beautiful passage of Scripture, Luke chapter 1, verse 26 through 38. You have your Bibles, you can follow along, or you can just listen to the wonderful, beautiful text of Scripture. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. I must just pause for a moment and highlight the greeting of the angel. Truth is, I love how angels talk to people in the Bible. It reminds me of the moment when Gideon, the young boy, is trying to thresh wheat in the threshing floor, hidden from the Midianites, afraid they're going to kill him and steal all the grain, and the angel comes to him and says, Hello! you mighty man of valor. And I'm sure Gideon looks over both shoulders to see who the angel's talking to. And then he must say, what? What? Me, the mighty man of valor? You see, the messengers of God, the angels, see in us what sometimes we cannot see in ourselves. And so God greets this young woman, Mary, by saying, you who are highly 
favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel. Since I am a virgin. The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, the only two historical figures mentioned in the Apostles' Creed. Next week I'm going to talk about suffered under Pontius Pilate, but of course the phrase is not about Pontius Pilate. It's about Jesus. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who suffered under Pontius Pilate. The phrase about Pontius Pilate is no more about him than the phrase, born of the Virgin Mary, is about Mary. It's about Jesus, our Lord, the one in whom we believe. The guide that I had the first time when I went to the Holy Land showed us the ruins of Zippori and particularly an excavation on the south side of a hill there. And as we looked down at this home that seemed to face toward Jerusalem, the guide said, this is the childhood home of Mary, the mother of Jesus. <laughs> well... The chances of that being true are infinitesimally small. However, standing on the hillside, looking at the ruins of that house, wandering around in it for a moment, was instructive to me to think about this young woman who certainly had a mother and father, though they are not named in the Bible, and had a childhood home, Mary, the mother of Jesus. 
Some people think that Luke the evangelist sat down with Mary to receive the eyewitness account that he mentions in the very first verses of his gospel. When he says as an historian, I'm being very careful with this material and these are the accounts of eyewitnesses who were servants of the word. He later tells us in Luke chapter 2 that while everybody was celebrating, Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And so there are many who think that the account we've just read is Mary herself lending her voice to the gospel. It's an interesting thing to contemplate. The Magnificat is the longest text we have of Mary's voice. We have little snippets from the gospels. Mary is faithful, courageous, wonderful. She says upon receiving this news that is going to disturb and disrupt her life, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me according to your word. A good response for you, my friend, no matter what God has delivered to your heart, what challenge you face, to say to God, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me according to your word, God. Whatever your assignment for me, I am ready to receive it. At Cana in Galilee, we have another one of those snippets from Mary who is concerned that they have run out of wine at the wedding. And she tells the servants, I guess pointing to Jesus, whatever he says to you, do it. I like that word too. I think Mary lived that in the passage we just read. Mary herself did whatever God said to her. And she gave that counsel to the servants at the wedding. And it is good counsel for you as well. Whatever he says to you, do it. As wonderful and faithful and beautiful a person as Mary is in the text of Scripture, faithful to her son at the cross, at the tomb, and finally in the upper room we find her. She is not mentioned after Acts chapter 1. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts the first chapter and Mary's not mentioned again by name in the New Testament. Mary herself says 
that my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Mary needed a Savior, just like you and I need a Savior. We do not believe in the sinless perfection of Mary. We do, do not find it in the text of Scripture. I feel it necessary to speak to this because I want to be plain about who Mary is. It seems to me that Matthew records Joseph did not have sexual relations with Mary until Jesus was born. And while some may see another word in that, what I see is that Mary and Joseph resumed normal marital relations after Jesus was born. We do not find in the text of Scripture the teaching of the perpetual virginity of Mary. The Bible doesn't teach that Mary was assumed into heaven. Mary is a wonderful figure. I do not intend to discount her role in the history of salvation. But instead to say that she herself needed a Savior and was saved in the same ways, the way that you and I are saved, confessing her sin, receiving the forgiveness of God through Christ. Mary lends her voice to the gospel story. She gives us a beautiful picture of submission and obedience. And she points to her son, Jesus, when she speaks at the wedding. For born of a virgin, born of the Virgin Mary is really about Jesus. We believe in Jesus. He was born of the Virgin Mary. It is a miraculous conception and birth. It's a miracle. Just like his resurrection and ascension into heaven are miracles. These go beyond the bounds of our normal, natural experiences. These are miraculous. But we have already confessed that I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord. And having made the confession that Jesus is God's only Son and our Lord, it is no surprise that His life has the miraculous and the visitation of angels. Are we startled by that? And the virgin birth is no more hard to believe than the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. So, in fact, the Bible tells us that concerning Jesus and our belief about him is the center pin of this confession. Concerning Jesus, his life on this earth was bracketed by the miraculous intervention of God and angelic visitations, both at his conception and at his ascension. And when you think about it, it seems appropriate that there should be miracles at the entrance and the exit of the one who is the Messiah, 
the Son of the Most High. The creed includes conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary on purpose. There were those in the second century who taught that Jesus only appeared to be human, that he wasn't really human. And so when the ancient fathers put this line in the creed, they intended to communicate the humanity of Jesus. And the full humanity of Jesus is confessed many times in the Scripture, but look in Hebrews chapter 2. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity. And then verses 17 and 18 of Hebrews 2, for this reason he had to be made like his brothers in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. The scripture teaches that Jesus came through the birth canal, that he was God-made flesh because it is necessary for our salvation and the atonement of our sins. The full humanity of Jesus. He was not just appearing to be man. He was man. He assumed in his incarnation all that it means to be human so that he might in the end redeem us completely from our sin. Conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, is the confession of the ancient creed that points to the full humanity of Jesus. As well, it points to his full divinity, for we believe that Jesus is fully man and fully God. And the angel said to Mary, the one who is born to you will be called the Son of God. Why will he have that term? Because the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you and the Most High is going to overshadow you. And this activity of God in your life will produce in you a Son who will be called the Son of God. He is God, the Son. Therefore, we worship Him. Therefore, He is able to save us. He is the one who declares to us the very nature of the eternal God, the Word made flesh. This belief in the full humanity and the full deity of Jesus is what we understand from Scripture. True to his nature and his person. But there is one other thing that is made clear and to which the virgin birth points. It is that he is the perfect Lamb of God 
The scripture says in Hebrews 4.15, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. There is something that is characteristic of humanity. There is a propensity for sin. There is a tendency to sin. It's like falling off a cliff for a human being to sin. The power of sin is so great in us that through all these generations, all the history of man, in all periods in which he lived, in all places in which he lived, everyone, all of them, men and women, sinned. Every one of them fell short of the glory of God and broke the command of Scripture, transgressed against the law of God. It is the story universally of the human race. It is why you sit here sometimes in this pew so aware of your sin. Sometimes your sin brings you to sit in the house of worship. You are troubled by it. It disturbs your conscience, and you are looking for some way to have relief inside from what you know has gone wrong. You do not live very long before you realize that sin is embedded in human nature deeply to its very core. And the sin problem is a disturbing problem. It may be the fundamental problem falling short of the glory of God. Living as a transgressor, hurting ourselves and hurting others by choices that we make that are deliberate and bad. What will God do to remedy the sin problem in human beings that he loves and wants to be in his presence? God sent his son, born of a woman to redeem we who are plagued by our sin. When John the Baptist introduced him to the disciples, he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And they knew better than we, immediately, their minds going to the Passover lamb, to the sacrificial lamb that they brought annually to the feast. And when they picked that lamb that they were going to give at the Passover time as a sin offering, they did not pick the one that was about to die, the one that had broken its leg when it fell in the pasture. They didn't bring the one that was poor and sickly. They brought the best of the flock. They had to bring a lamb to God that was without blemish. A perfect lamb, so to speak. And they did it year after year. And they were practiced in this. It was ingrained in their being, in their religious experience. The lamb without blemish that they brought for the sin offering. God, in order to rescue you, hopelessly caught in a web of sin, sent his Son, incarnate in flesh. And the Scripture says, he was tempted in all points that you are, yet 
without sin. The sinless perfection of Jesus is hard to imagine. You think about a human living through all the experiences that you and I have and yet not sinning. And yet it is essential to our understanding of how God saves us. For the sinlessness of Jesus of Nazareth is his credential to die in our place on the cross as God's lamb sacrificed for us. It qualifies him to be in this role. For without it, the cross would be his own and not ours. But he died in our place. The scripture says, he who knew no sin became sin. Why? That we might become the righteousness of God in him. Because Jesus, God's perfect son, died on the cross in our place, when we trust Christ as Savior and Lord, the Father in heaven casts a blanket of righteousness over our life. It is given to us, appointed for us, this righteousness that we did not earn and do not deserve. And you may say to yourself, that's not fair for the perfect one to die for the guilty and for I who am a sinner to be given righteousness. It's not fair. No, it's not fair. It's what the Bible calls grace. And don't you love it? to have a grace from the Father in heaven that is greater than all your sin. Has there ever been a moment in your life when you celebrated this? When you realized in the presence of God that you were absolutely and completely clean? Has there ever been a moment when you appropriated that truth for yourself? Do you always live in self-condemnation? Are you always plagued with guilt? Do you ever have a moment of freedom from the burden that you bear, the moral failure, the falling short? Does it ever come to you? Do you have this visitation of peace and joy? Jesus died on the cross so it would be yours. And when you drag around your sack of guilt and shame and perpetually you make it part of your demeanor and disposition, you insult the Savior who died on the cross to bury your sin in the depths of the sea and remember it no more against you. There needs to be this moment in you even after you're saved when you come before God and you confess your sin and you appropriate the peace and joy that comes with knowing, I am clean. I am clean in the examination of the judge of all the earth. And only so because his son Jesus 
who pleased him in every way, took my sin upon himself, held it in his bosom as he died, and paid my debt. <laughs> Jesus came out of the waters of baptism, and the Father said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. He chose that moment to express his pleasure in his son. But the Father in heaven was continually saying this to his son, who pleased him with every word and every deed. There was no place in all the time that Jesus was on earth where the Father was displeased with him. He was fully pleased in every way with his son, Jesus of Nazareth. And so in his perfection and his freedom from sin, he laid down his life to rescue you. You say, well, I don't know. I think I would rather go a different route. This is God's eternal plan unveiled from the beginning of time till now. We are not talking about somebody. We are talking about Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the promised one, pointed to by the prophets and Moses and the, and the kings, pointed to by Isaiah and all the others. We are talking about God's plan here, not ours. And if you have pulled over yourself a righteousness which you have made, and you say, I'm going to God with my righteousness, not the righteousness of Christ. I can only tell you, you are bound to be condemned. Because your righteousness, Isaiah says, is like filthy rags in the sight of God. He is a holy God. He is spotless and pure and true. And though you may have done good things in your life, you have also done bad. You have broken the law, and as you stand before God, you are a lawbreaker and a sinner. And to try to manufacture your own righteousness and do enough good that you can make up for the bad things you've done is a hopeless endeavor. You will never have peace this way. It will never be settled in your soul that God is pleased with you this way. The only way that you will ever have the peace of God and his pleasure upon your life is to trust in his son Jesus, whom the Father in heaven gave at the greatest cost imaginable, that you might have his righteousness on you. Every Sunday we invite people to trust Jesus as Savior. We do so because without him you are without hope. There is not an alternative route. There is no other way. This is God's plan and his purpose in your life. Can you say, I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, my personal Savior, Bow with me, please. There comes a point 
in the life of every man and woman where the voice of God comes clear like it was with Mary. And for us it is to say, God, I hear you. I am your servant. Let it be in me according to your word. If you've not trusted in Christ as Savior, repenting of your sin, giving your life to him, why not do that right now? Saying, Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. Please forgive me for my sin. I believe you died on the cross for me and rose again from the dead. And I entrust my life to you. God, we pray at this time of response, you will find us like Mary, ready to hear and heed the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray.